Welcome to the Health Fail Podcast, where we explore failure in healthcare from the highly publicized to the never before told stories of failures that have birthed healthcare transformation and innovation. On this episode of Health Fail, we sit down with Dr. Mona Siddiqui to discuss how failure throughout her life and career has led to success in her present role as Chief Data Officer of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. I'm your host, Zach Jiwa. And I'm Zach's co-host, Stephen Cutberth, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Health Fail. All right, good day, everyone. We're sitting here at South by Southwest 2019 here in the heart of Austin, Texas, and we're really excited to have Dr. Mona Siddiqui to join us. Welcome, Mona. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. All right. Dr. Mona is the Chief Data Officer for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Um, Let's start with... uh, Uh, Give us a little background on yourself before we get into failure. Sure. Um, So, as you said, uh, currently I'm the uh, Chief Data Officer for HHS. My background is that I'm an internist and um, I also have a background in data science and in operations engineering. And so, depending on what I'm doing uh, at HHS, I I wear a different hat uh, every day sometimes it feels like. Great, great. Well, thanks for being with us, and thanks for coming all the way from D.C. just to join the Health Fail podcast. <laughs> exactly. So, um, on the on the podcast, what we are planning to do and hoping to do is learn from failure and learn from failure from uh, from all sorts of people, from all sorts of walks of life. And I think you're a really interesting um, person who's had a lot of success in in her career to this point, and I suspect we'll have much more going forward. But um, we can go wherever you want to today, but let's start by maybe talking about maybe some of your personal failures and careers. Uh, of course, what we, what we want to talk about is how failure has led to success. Mm-hmm. So whether you want to share a personal story or whether you want to share something professional, tell us about how failure has led to success and what you've learned from that over the course of your career and your life. Yeah, so I say this to people who ask for advice all the time that for every accomplishment that anybody reads, for really anybody's profile on LinkedIn, there are 20 failures behind that uh, that you never get to hear about. And I think those failures are actually much uh, more formative in our success and in our journeys than the the successes actually are. Uh, So given that I have had a a pretty sort of a different training, um, I've had a lot of transitions in my career and a lot of sort of lateral transitions as well. So how do you move from being a full-time practicing physician and a researcher into more of an administrative role? Um, When I was um, at Hopkins and really going down more of a tenure-track academic uh, position, I realized very early on that that was not for me. And so I um, wanted to make a transition, but that transition was very tough. Um, how do it, the question was, how do I use my data science skills to be able to help an organization run more effectively? And I essentially pitched that to, to my home organization, to my academic center, and it did not pan out after multiple conversations. And so that's actually very, um, you know, that's a tough process to go through because it's people who you've essentially grown up with um, in terms of your training who don't quite understand what you want to do and who are questioning um, the assumptions that you're making about your skill set mm. and also about what you're thinking for the future and where the where healthcare needs to move to. And 
Um, and I experienced that failure sort of, you know, over the course of many, many months. Um, and, uh, and I learned so much from it. I mean, of course, it was a process where I, I had to pick myself up a little bit. Um, and it was not a uh, fun process. Um, but there's a lot that I learned about myself. And I know we talk about resilience um, so much, but it is absolutely essential uh, to being able to say, okay, you know what, that didn't work out here's what I learned and now here's what I need to do rather than what I think happens so often uh, that we begin to go into the cycle of self-doubt and um, I think it's really really essential to listen to your internal voice about the right direction for you and what we perceive as failure and rejection can often help to reduce that internal voice and I think the key thing in all of our careers is to um, differentiate the things that don't work out from your internal sense of what um, you need to be doing. So I like that you talked about resilience. Um, my wife's a big fan of like Brene Brown and Sheryl Sandberg and yeah. some of the stuff that she's published, that both of them have published. Um, and I think that's a really important topic. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about or maybe give some of the details of the story because I think it's more interesting often to hear the actual story yeah. behind the failure. So you talked about Johns Hopkins, right? Yeah. And there was some disappointment, it sounds like, and failure. But then now, obviously, you've experienced success. So how, what is the story of how you kind of went from that to where you are now? Um, So so you really want me to talk about failure. (laughs) (laughs) Because I always, you know, I remember, if you hear a talk at South By, you don't take away all the bullet points, right? You take away the the human piece. And that's what I think is most interesting. Yeah. um, So... For me, again, the question was, how do you move from a person who's really highly trained to a person who um, wants to uh, be more on the organizational side and on the operation side um, when people have you pigeonholed as one particular type of person? Yeah. Um, And so I, um, you know, I spent a lot of time meeting a lot of people and understanding people's career paths and, and journeys, and then crossing those off my list for what I wanted to do. That's smart. Um, and I also um, I also applied to a lot of different positions. Um, Hopkins was one, but I also applied to I don't know how many more, um, and uh, you know got got two things said back to me: either you're overqualified. Or, God, this would be like drinking water from a fire hose for you. Uh, (laughs) And you're like, I don't know what to do with that. Like, what kind of feedback is that? And how do I I build something constructive from that? And you don't oftentimes, because that is not people's job. I mean, most people are not going to be giving you constructive criticism um, that is helpful. Um, And so uh, it really was just me continuing to apply and continuing to explore different options and one of going back to some of the the books that you mentioned you know one of the things that is absolutely true is that when you do a uh, lateral transition your career is not going to follow a ladder yeah absolutely it's going to be more of a jungle gym (laughs) i like that i like the analogy and and um, and you have to be okay with that. And sometimes you have to be okay with when you make a transition that you take a step down or a slight step a slight step down. 
Yeah, I, you know, one of the things in my career, and I've, I've had plenty of failures as well, and a lot of those failures have, have led, just like you're talking about, to the next step in my career. And I can remember I can place myself in those positions thinking, you know, God, wh- where am I, where am I going to end up after yeah. this? I, I just crashed really hard. The one thing that I think pulled me out of those ruts at those pivot points were people and the people around me. So maybe you can talk about, uh, and you don't have to name them by name, but um, I'm sure you have really a really great network of people, or, or maybe you know if it's even your family. But whenever you're in that moment of failure, how do you? Are there people around you that help pull you out, or are there you know things that happen in your life that that take you to that next next level, other than just applying for the next job? Like what was the what was the you know light bulb moment that said, hey, I'm in a and maybe there wasn't a trajectory at that point in time that you're going to be the chief data officer of HHS. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you know, how do you how do you lift yourself up and get through those? And what what's the network that you use? Yeah. So I think so. I, I think everybody's different. For some people, there is going to the network and, and talking through. And I did a little bit of that. But also for me, it was um, forcing myself to think about um, the positive things. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, the fact that look, you're a well-trained person. You're going to be okay. It's going to take some time. Um, and what's the next step? Uh, and and you know, like any disappointment, there's a, a, a you, you should take some time to grieve. Um, yeah. But then you really have to move on. Um, and and for for me, um, what's most effective is to be productive about that response, about what's the next step, and then what's the next step after that. Um, and that's kind of what I've learned to focus on. Um, and it is a vastly different, um, I'm a vastly different person now than I was 10 years ago where the smallest disappointment I took very, very personally. And now over time, you, you know, become a person, I think we all do, where we begin to trust ourselves more so mm-hmm. that any rejection or disappointment, which we all continue to face, is not something that you take personally anymore. Um, and, and actually getting to that point is where everybody should be. Um, where, uh, you know, somebody else's uh, estimation of your abilities or, or what you can do next is, is actually not the assessment that you rely on. Yeah, I love that. It's interesting that this is timely. I just went through some uh, emotional, relational training with, with work, and we were talking about failure, and I had a realization that I'm so afraid to fail I often don't even try. Like I won't apply to a graduate program or a position because I, yeah. I, I can't handle being rejected in that way. And it's weird to be that vulnerable, but it's really true. Yeah. And I think sometimes I let that hold me back. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, you know, we all have a different sort of arc for how we get through that. Um, if it's, it's interesting. I think when you take a non-traditional pathway, you actually have to be much more okay with risk, um, and 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 that comes with a higher risk of failure. But for me, I actually realized this pretty early on about myself that if I knew what the career path was going to be and what I needed to get there, I actually did have I had no interest in taking that wow. because it seemed to me a very boring approach to my life. Um, and I like the, a level of uncertainty and I like a level of risk. Um, and even if that means that people around me have no clue as to what it is that I'm doing and why I'm doing it, as long as it makes sense to me and I'm having fun and it's a complex problem, um, but that makes me happy. Yeah. 
So let's thank you very much for sharing that personal aspect. Let's shift a little bit to, to the work that you're doing um, in the department. And you've been in the role for two years? For close to two years. Two yeah. years. So, um, but, but you've been in medicine for, for quite some time. Let's talk about, in this kind of open open platform, let's talk about what you see in your role. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll avoid the, the politics of the discussion, but certainly in the work that you do at HHS, uh, and that's that's got to be very, very broad from a standpoint of, of data, but tell me about the failures that you've seen or maybe that you see coming even that uh, that you've learned from or we're, we're about to learn from maybe the hard way. You know, I think um, too often we are... There are two big mistakes, I think, and maybe I'll be a little bit philosophical here uh, rather than political, is that we either talk over each other um, and we don't listen really um, in a meaningful way uh, to other people's opinions and perspectives, uh, which are valid, um, and or we um, buy everything at face value and we don't question it enough. Uh, and get down to what it is that um, we're buying into. And I think those two things happen so often within really any any sector, but obviously for me being in healthcare, I see that all the time, uh, that there is a failure to really have a conversation um, as to the root cause of something and why something should be effective. And, and we often just um, take it at face value. And I think there have been... Um, many me- there have been many resources expended and ideas that have not worked that had people taken some time to question um, would not have ever materialized. Yeah. Can you think of any like specific things that you that you deal with on a regular basis? I know when when I was when I was in um, government, both in state government and the federal government, I felt like we kept things at such a macro level. We could, I could barely even find, or I guess we didn't even think about what was actually happening on the ground floor. Um, so, I mean, if there's any, you know, specific examples, and if not, that's fine as well. But um, where, where do you think, you know, in your role, you see as it pertains to data, like, how do we use that data better? What are we doing um you know, to, to change the outcome. Well, let me give you one example. I think of where it, um, where we've actually used data in a very actionable way. And this was in a, in a previous job um, when I first started the federal government uh, under the Obama administration with a team called the White House Social and Behavioral Sciences Team. And we were embedding uh, in that team insights from behavioral economics and, you know, what's known as nudge theory into federal government programs and then doing large-scale randomized control trials. Um, and uh, when you do that, you, know, you have to be really open about the successes and the failures. And the federal government usually doesn't like to be, you know, doesn't like to put out the failures. And we were really committed from a scientific approach to say, look, we're going to make public the things that worked that we did and the things that didn't work. And we hope that most of the things that we try will be effective, but it's okay because this is a more rigorous scientific approach. Um, And so, for instance, when uh, we were involved in, in getting... Um, and doing enrollment for through the Affordable Care Act and trying to get more people to sign up for health insurance, um, we were doing real-time testing of what what uh, communication methods would be effective and what wouldn't, um, and we could build off of that. 
And there were some basic assumptions around um, providing people information about their benefits that actually had no impact on consumers signing up for health insurance. Um, And there were other nudges that we were trying that, um, you know, had an enormous impact in the number of people who were enrolling. Um, And and those kinds of things, I I think that's a great example of how... um, you know, using your assumptions to be able to make something run uh, more effectively doesn't always work, and testing and, and data is so important. Yeah, it reminds me, I, I say this in the office a lot, as Stephen will know, right, the best the best way to prove a poor plan is to implement vigorously. <laughs> and, you know, that that's actually a, you know, a, thought, a, a thought-provoking way of saying um, what Silicon Valley has said, you know, let's fail fast and, and move on. Um, but uh, certainly in government, and especially with the big P politics of government, it's really hard to say we spent money and we failed, and no one actually wants to, to say that out loud sometimes. But it's, I think it's the way that we can move on and, and actually succeed, and if you can't say that, it's a challenge. Yeah, that, that goes back, I think, to vulnerability, right? And um, vulnerability creates trust, because if you're willing to say that I messed up, people will trust you and, and believe you when you say that I also succeeded. If you're always saying, you know, we're always perfect, people don't trust you. So, yeah, I wonder how you think really we can all do, but I guess specifically in your role, a better job of being honest and, and, and developing trust by being vulnerable and sharing the times that we fail. Yeah, no, I'll, so I'll say, um, you know, in my current role uh, in what I have to do, which is help the department um, use its data in a much more effective way. There's no strategy like that I can go to, and and, mm-hmm. and there's no roadmap um, out there that I can say, okay, this is the right way for us to do it. Um, and it's a bit of a wild, wild west for not just HHS, but for a lot of you know Fortune 500 companies that are engaged in this right now. Um, and so I'm actually very upfront with people when I have these conversations at the department that this is a strategy that we've come up with based on our best assumptions. But we're going to get it wrong, and we're going to have to pivot, and that's going to have to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a conversation that I have with people up front. And oftentimes people ask me, well, what is it that, um, you know, what exactly is it going to look like? And people are really uncomfortable when I say, I don't know. Um, I don't know what it, it's going to look like. We're going to build this together, and hopefully it'll be a product at the end of it that we'll all be able to leverage and build on, and if, if it's not working, then we're going to do it in an agile way to be able to pivot. Um, but it, people don't like that level of uncertainty. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 It, it sounds like it would almost be interesting to, for you to document that process. I think this is the book that comes out of it. I mean, you could start a podcast <laughs> or a blog. Or, I mean, I think people would want to know you're doing something new and interesting and different and well, That's so, exciting. so it's so funny because a lot of people want to focus on, and you know, we all do this. They want to focus on the technology and the yeah. product. And where my focus right now is how do I create a mechanism to build something that's agile and that allows for failure. And in the federal government, um, and and I I see Zach smiling because he knows (laughs) in the federal government acquisitions um, uh, and procurement is, um, is not built to do that. And so my head is not actually on the what and the end product. It's on the how. Yeah. Um, and that's a conversation that makes people really, really uncomfortable. 
Yeah, I've, I've said I've said a number of times that I feel like the role of federal government is to maintain the status quo by all means. Yeah. Right, and I think you've experienced that. Well, so let's, if we can, let's shift for a few minutes and talk about um, maybe maybe go personal because you certainly have. Uh, a, a lot of people around you in work, but you also have two beautiful young children. So, um, if I may say that, tell me how you tell me how you talk about failure to them, um, and how you're teaching them that it's okay to fail, and and what that looks like. I think that's a really interesting aspect to get to the personal side of you, Mona. Yeah, and it's something that I've had to really learn. I don't, again, like there's no parenting book that you know is great at talking about failure. Maybe there is. So I haven't read it. Um, <laughs> Me either. Another book to write. Um, but it's something that I've, I've had to learn. I, you know, your kids also see you doing um, good things and they assume that your path has been completely smooth. Yeah. And I see my kids doing that and I've, I always have to tell them, um, no, it has not been. Like I've had many, many failures, and they often don't believe me. Uh, and and that's a conversation that I continue to have. Um, that look, it's actually I would much prefer that you are a lifelong learner, yeah. and yeah. that um, you're built to be somebody who's reflective and um, a good human being, rather than somebody who is chasing, um, you know, a, a metric that doesn't matter. Um, but our whole society is built around metrics that don't matter. Um, and, uh, and and so, you know, you are fighting an uphill battle when, when you're doing that. Um, but, you know, hopefully, um, and, again, and being a type A personality, like, do, do I have to fight that battle for myself internally? Of course. And so, um, you know, I have to... I have to be thinking so much more proactively um, as a parent about what that looks like um, from their perspective. But I think even that ties in to some of the stuff we were talking about over the weekend at South by with titles and that's what we strive for, right? We strive for the title and the name that'll get us wherever we want to go. But um, there's a lot more there. That's cool. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is um, let's actually hear um, ideas yeah. of, of um, you know people who disagree with us, and um, let's avoid groupthink to the extent possible. Um, let's not parrot the ideas of other people um, just because they sound great. Um, but let's actually have a reasoned discussion about what's possible and what makes sense. And um, you know that's 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 kind of what I w- would hope for um, in our community. The way I bring up my kids is to be more self-reflective and to um, listen to the person sitting on the other side. Um, And, you know, I often say that I think we need actually a cultural exchange program within the country um, uh, because I don't think that we hear each other. um, And uh, conversations like these are so important for people to actually hear the other person's idea and to understand why they have that idea. Um, and um, and we just don't do that. So we're, we're, we're obviously here at South by Southwest uh, and you're here speaking on a, a number of, of different panels and you're, you're also listening to, to a number of things. Um, what do you see here at South by Southwest as is, is we gather a, a group, we, we've talked about you know serendipitous collisions, the fact that you could be here with a lot of healthcare folks, but you can also be here with a lot of tech folks and actors, actresses, um, filmmakers and whatever. Um, what, what do, you, do, you, do you see something here um, that's actually uh, helping to move the needle 
um, in these conversations, or is this just another conference for you? I know there's a ton of healthcare conferences. We've been on the circuit together in a number of ways, but I think it'd be really great to, to kind of hear some feedback on um, your second South by Southwest. Yeah, yeah. Um, so clearly there are just so many smart people here. It's a great community. Um, and, you know, I'm just delighted to be here and learn from so many people. I think where so many um, of these conferences uh, perhaps don't pay enough attention to is what happens after and the action that is associated with a lot of these great ideas and being able to cultivate perhaps in a bit more strategic way, um, you know, where, um, how do we have a call for action and what are the commitments that people are making and how do we hold people accountable um, for those? Um, so that next year, when everybody gathers here again, that those aren't the same conversations that are happening all over again, and that there is um, some proof point for what people were able to accomplish. I think that makes a lot of sense. What do you think about um, South by in that it's really not a healthcare conference? I mean, like you said, it's it's a conference that started out as a music festival in a funky, weird city like Austin. Uh, but I know that Hugh and team have really put a lot of effort in to grow health at South by. Um, do you feel like there's anything different here? Or maybe even have you been able to attend some non-health sessions and, and get a little bit of, you know, learn something from uh, other industries? Yeah, no, so I think the conversations here, especially this time uh, focused on health equity, yeah. have been just, uh, just just great. I've learned so much from those conversations. Um I've also uh, had, um, you know, I, I, I saw a film actually yesterday, hey, nice. um, which was exploring uh, a, a group of people who are using open source information to do um, volunteer um, uh, investigations and journalism and how open source um, data can really um, uh, empower citizens to validate information. And so, um, you know, I think that has a lot of implications for kind of my space within healthcare uh, and how we are leveraging data. Um, and so that, that was great. And, and I think that is actually um, the beauty of a conference like this, which um, has people from so many different uh, walks of life and, and different perspectives, that it does really, really open your mind. But you have to also go um, and, and kind of go outside of your comfort zone and embrace some of those, um, uh, you know, some of those different aspects. And that goes for people in healthcare going outside, as well as from people outside of healthcare coming in and, and listening. And um, I think we also just need a lot more people outside of sort of the traditional um, aspects of healthcare coming in with their ideas um, and, and, and helping us to brainstorm what to do next. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I think we're coming up uh, on, on near the end of our time, but I guess I'd you know, ask one last question, and that is, um, as, we, as we grow this podcast to a, a broad audience, you know, do you have any really final thoughts or words on people who may be um, experiencing uh, failure in what they're doing and or um, you know, maybe those who are afraid to fail in what they're doing out there in, in the healthcare universe? Yeah, so I would say that um, the more of an impact that you want to have in whatever you're doing, the higher the likelihood of failure. Mm -hmm. And um, and but you can't let the fear stop you. And I know there's so much uh, there. There's so many trite things that we say in this space, um, but you really um, you really have to take that first step and not let 
um, the 10 things that could happen after that um, stop you and just sort of focus on the next and then the next and you build incrementally over the course of your career. Um, you take risk, failure is guaranteed, um, you can't avoid it uh, and so the next best thing is that you learn how to fail and how to fail in a way that preserves your sense of self and what you are able to accomplish. Awesome. Well, Dr. Mona Siddiqui, thank you for joining us on this edition of Health Fail. Um, we, uh, we hope you have a great time for the rest of your South by Southwest. Thank you. And we look forward to seeing you again soon.